0: Our New Testament reading is Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 18 through 4, verse 1. Colossians 3, uh, starting in verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he's done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Thanks be to God for his word. But we're wrapping up Colossians chapter 3 tonight. We've been working through Colossians, mainly in the evening services, and, and we've, we're wrapping up chapter 3 here and, and just starting into chapter 4. So we're, we're coming to the end of the book, and and we're in the second half of the book. And we should remember that Paul spent the first two chapters of the book primarily describing for us Christ, his person, his work, his incomparable worth, his sufficiency for us. And and now he's describing for us what our response to Christ should be. And and his his logic here is this as he as he says as he 's working out our, our response to christ, he says christian don 't be who you were don't don 't be who you were, the old man, the man who 's of this earth, the man who is in Adam, the man of sin, a slave to sin don 't be who you were, no, be who you are now you 've come to Christ by his spirit, by faith, and now you 're a new man you 're in Christ, the new man, so be who you are, live according to that new Identity. You've been raised with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ. So let your life now reflect where your position is. Your position's in heaven. Where, where Christ is. So live a Christ-centered, a Christ-focused, a Christ-oriented, a Christ-directed life. And and as we've seen throughout chapter three, this isn't high abstract theology that doesn't intersect with the real world and and the monday through friday of our lives this is as practical as it gets this is the lifeblood here of christian growth that paul is talking about and we see this most of all in our text here tonight as paul turns his attention on the specific roles and relationships and duties that god's called us to he 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 gives instructions to wives and husbands and children and servants and masters and there's an important point for us to see here, and that's this is where sanctification, maturity, growth, this is where it happens. It happens not, not in extraordinary religious experiences. That's what some of the false teachers in Colossae were pushing, these, these, these extraordinary religious experiences that made you a, a super-Christian. Paul says, no, real growth and maturity happens in how you treat your wife and your children. And, and, he, and he's saying real Christian discipline isn't this asceticism that the false teachers in Colossae were, were pushing, this, this making yourself all kinds of extra rules to, 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 to try to uh, get a, a rain on your, on your flesh. No, he says it happens in the ways that you treat your children, the ways you treat your spouse, and the ways you do your work each day. In fact, it happens in all the, in all the places we, we are tempted to think it doesn't really matter, and there isn't really a difference. So God, through Paul here, is commanding us to put on the Christ-focused character of the new man in all our relationships and all our duties. The Christ-focused character of the new man. And then he walks through the the basic categories of his day. He talks to wives, husbands, children, fathers, servants, masters. And with each of them, he lays down a foundational principle for how they're supposed to live He's not given the comprehensive picture here. He doesn't say much. He just gives them kind of a foundational principle, the essential command that they should work out, that should inform everything else. And, and before we get into the details of this, I, what I want us to see is how Christ-focused all of this is Over and over here, Paul says, love in the Lord, obey in the Lord, serving as serving the Lord as your heavenly master. He's talking about Christ, the Lord here. He's saying live a life that's dominated by Christ in every relationship and in all your duties. Brothers and sisters, is that the desire and ambition of your heart and your life, that that you be defined by Christ and that Christ dominates every single relationship and all your duties? duties every aspect of our lives we can get so stuck in in habits uh, that are not christ focused we stop growing and maturing and our relationships with each other become dominated by other things than christ and his gospel and his lordship paul says let your lives your relationships your duties be dominated by christ now, there's no outline, as you see there. There's no outline in the bulletin or on the screen. Um, there could be, but it, it almost seems superfluous because the list just goes right down through. It's very clear. So we're just going to take the verses one at a time and each, each group that Paul addresses and work through them and then uh, have some concluding thoughts. So first, in verse 18, we see Paul's instructions here to wives. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord." Of all the commands that Paul gives here, I think this is the one that's most explosive in our culture, most inflammatory to people in our day and age. They would, they would say, "This is downright wrong for Paul to say this. This is this is uh, uh, opening the door for all kinds of abuse. This is this is the patriarchy. Um, this is this is going to uh, this is going to lead to oppression and abuse for wives." Because our culture is coming to this text with the presupposition uh, that that. Uh, to be equal means that we have to have the same role, that we have to be interchangeable. And also, they, our culture comes to this text saying that that I can decide who I am and what my role is and what my duties are. Uh, but the Lord says He decides who we are, what our duties are, what our roles are. And so this, this command here, it's... Uh, it's a difficult command, perhaps. Wives, submit to your husband. But it's also a freeing and, and encouraging command. It's, there's a protection here for, for wives. There's Paul says, as in the Lord, you're to submit to your husbands. So there's this is God's word and we're going to stick with it. And it's, it's freeing and it's also protecting. All right, so let's consider what Paul says here about the wife's role. First, he says, wives submit to their husbands. Now, there are uh, books and books that have been written on what, what he means here, what the details of this look like. Some of them are worth reading. Some of them probably aren't. Uh, we're just going to look uh, briefly at this for the sake of time. God calls wives to submit to their husbands. What does that mean, you know, basically? Well, it means that you need to honor your husband's authority and you need to submit to follow his leadership. The wife is not the head of the household. Uh, the husband is the head of the household. So wives need to honor, respect their husbands, support their leadership, encourage their leadership if, it, if, if, if that's needed, and to obey them. And if there's a disagreement, if it's not something that's against God's word, to submit to them in that. You shouldn't, you know, wives should not try to manipulate their husbands or, or coerce them. They have, should have a basic disposition towards their husbands of, I will honor your authority and I will support and follow your leadership. The next clause in the verse kind of flushes this out it says submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord and this is saying a couple things here about how you should submit to your husband first your marriage is under Christ that's foundational how you structure your marriage isn't up to you it's up to the Lord and he's given us instructions here in his word we aren't sovereign in our marriages Christ is he's the he's the Lord of every marriage So our marriages have to function not the way we think is best, but the way he's told us in his word. And here we read, this is the way the Lord wants it to function. So this challenges us. It challenges our pride. It challenges our our desire to be in control. But it not only challenges us, uh, this command here, submit to your wives as in the Lord, also protects us. Wives are protected here. They are to submit as is fitting in the Lord. So Paul doesn't say, you need to write your husband a blank check of submission. You're going to do whatever he tells you to do. He says, no, it's, it's in the Lord. It's a challenge because you have to obey your husband in whatever he commands you to do as far as it's what the Lord commands. But there's protection here. You do not have to do anything that is against Christ's will. Your husband isn't sovereign either. Christ is sovereign. So, wives... This is how Paul and the Holy Spirit are calling us to grow in Christian maturity and to put on Christ. It's to submit to your husbands, to honor them, to, to, to support their leadership and submit to them in the Lord. The next command, uh, verse 19, is for husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. <clears throat> if, if the call to Uh, wives to submit to husbands is somewhat uh, inflammatory in our day. Paul's command to husbands to love their wives and not be bitter uh, towards them was uh, surprising, shocking in his day Uh, because he's saying uh, wives aren't property. They're not servants. They're equals in personhood with you and you have a responsibility to love them, Paul's Paul's saying. He puts this strongly in uh, Ephesians 5.25. He says, Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Love your wives as your own body, he says in 528. Well, how did Christ love the church? He sacrificed himself for her salvation. How do we love our bodies? We nourish them. We care for them. So husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. This this means don't spare yourself any cost to encourage and nurture them in Christ. Don't spare yourself any cost to encourage and nurture them in Christ. Husbands, are we doing that with our wives? Is our desire to, to love them the way Christ loves the church that we might see them uh, grown, uh, in, in gr- growing in, in grace and in Christ? And then, and then Paul adds, don't be bitter toward them. Now, why would, why would Paul say don't be bitter right after he said, uh, love your wives as Christ has loved the church? Well, I think when we, when, we, when we sacrifice for people, the temptation is to think, well, now you owe me. If I'm, if I'm giving myself sacrificially for you, doing things for you, giving up things for you, well, then you owe me. And that can lead to resentment and, and bitterness can set in. We feel entitled to something in response. I serve and serve and serve. I give and give and give. So what do I get back? Paul says, don't be bitter. Don't, don't, don't hold that against your wife. That's not loving. That's not what Christ does for us. We are to serve and give and sacrifice and nurture for our wife's good, rejoicing that this is the great honor that God has called us to, and not be bitter towards them for it. Because aren't we glad Christ isn't bitter towards us for His sacrifice for us, His service for us. His love gives and gives and gives despite our sin and our unloveliness. So brothers, let's love our wives uh, by God's grace like this. Now, uh, before we move on to the next verse, I just want to take a quick look at the relationship that God commands husband and wives to have here. Um, What would it look like if a husband and a wife both own for themselves, first of all, their God-given duties to each other and and work to fulfill them to each other by God's grace? You know, the the wife honoring and supporting, the, the husband leading in love, we would, see, we would see a sweet and harmonious relationship together. right? It's like, it's, it's like a dance. When one person leads, one person follows. If you're both trying to lead or both trying to go your own way, it's not going to work. One person has to follow. The other has to lead. God's given us the steps. Let's learn our parts that He's given us and let's strive by His grace to do them because that's what will bring Him glory and that's what will bless one another as well. All right, that's, how, that's wives and husbands now, uh, children, in verse 20. And I'm glad there are some children here tonight. Children, verse 20, Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. The gist of this verse uh, for you kids, you need to obey your mom and dad. That's what Paul is saying straight out. You need to obey your parents in all things, not when you think it's a good idea, But even when you think it's a bad idea, Paul says, Obey your mom and dad in all things. God's given your parents responsibility over you. He's given them charge over you, so you need to obey them. Now, why is it so important that the one thing Paul instructs the children here is, Obey your parents. Well, kids, I think that one of the reasons is this teaches you to live under authority, that you can't live the way you want to live. You can't follow your heart. Follow your own wisdom. You need to follow God's wisdom, which he's given to your parents. You need to learn from that. It teaches you to trust your parents more than to trust yourself. Not think much of yourself and your own wisdom. And that attitude then translates as you grow from, from your parents to the Lord. You learn to trust him more than you trust yourself. Not to follow your own inclinations and what you want, but to follow what the Lord wants for you. So that's that's God's command to children: obey your parents, as in the Lord. And then then Paul turns his attention to fathers, in verse twenty one. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Command here is given specifically to fathers. I I think it includes fathers and mothers, parents in general, um, but uh, uh, I think. We should not miss the fact that fathers are the ones Paul particularly addresses. And, and maybe he names fathers here because they're more prone to provoke their children. Maybe. I, I don't know. But I, I think he does single out fathers because while he has parents in general in mind, he holds fathers primarily responsible for raising children. We we normally think of of the mom as the one who does most of the time with the kids, most of the time raising them. But the the final responsibility for our children lies with with fathers. And and I think we dads can can tend to shy away from that, tend to see the kids as the wife's responsibility. We'll help if we can, if if we're around. But that's not the way the Bible sees it. I'm reminded here of uh, a, a telling sentence over in 1 Kings 1 where the narrator says this about David's son, Absalom. Uh, David's son, Absalom, has rebelled against his dad, and he's trying to take over the kingdom from him. And uh, the narrator says, says this about him. He says, his father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? David's never questioned Absalom. He's never said, why are you doing this? He's never disciplined him. So now there's civil war. Absalom's splitting the kingdom in half, ends up dead himself. And the responsibility lands at David's feet. So, fathers, we have a duty, this primary responsibility, to bring up our children in the discipline and the teaching of the Lord and His Word. So let's, let's take ownership of this, uh, uh, brothers. Let's, let's raise up our children this way. And, and Paul's command to us is this. Don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Don't irritate them. Don't be harsh with them. Don't be unreasonable or unfair with them. Because that will lead to them becoming discouraged. They'll lose heart. They won't be motivated to obey anymore. I think the reason we often do become harsh with our children, uh, unreasonable with them, provoke them, is that we fail to realize that, that our entire family life is under the Lordship of Christ. He's my Lord, and He's the Lord of my children. And my family. And I am not free as a father to treat my family, my children, any way I want. Because more, more fundamentally than they belong to me, they belong to the Lord. He's given me a charge, a stewardship to care for them. They're his more than they're mine. And I need to see that, that God's purpose for my children is not my happiness. It's their holiness and growth. And as as we come to see that more, I think we will uh, learn to be more gracious and and constant with our children. So, this is Paul's instructions to wives, husbands, children, and parents. And we've seen here all of this. And and he's describing for us the whole of our home life. It all plays out, again, under the lordship of Christ. This challenges us to more radical obedience and, and more radical selflessness. It it calls us to submit to Christ in every single relationship in our homes, not to see them as somehow separated from our relationship with the Lord. And at the same time, this, this, this also protects us because we're bound to Christ first. All these things Paul is calling us to do, submitting, loving, obeying, disciplining, it's all under the lordship of Christ. It's in the Lord. And there's a refuge in there for us. So this is, these are Paul's instructions to the home. But then he goes on, and we see here that the lordship of Christ doesn't end at the doors of the home. It extends out into the workplace as well. That's what we see next in the text. Paul talks about servants and masters. Of course, that isn't, uh, we don't have servants and masters so much in our day. Um, but Paul's principles here translate well uh, for employees and employers. So Paul addresses bondservants first, and this is verses 22 to 25. Uh, Let me read verse 22, Paul's basic command here. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And then he expands a little more in this, verse 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. It's as though Paul's anticipating a possible reaction here uh, in the Colossian church. You can imagine someone saying, well, if I belong to Christ, then then he's my master. I don't have an earthly master that I have to serve anymore. Christ is the one I submit to. I don't have to submit to a man. And Paul says, no, it's it's actually the other way around. Because you belong to Christ, you must obey your earthly master with even uh, more faithfulness and more integrity, quicker obedience. And he says, This obedience can't be for self-promotion. It must be a sincere obedience from the heart. Again, our culture balks at all these commands, and this is no exception. Our culture loves to disrespect those in authority. And in work culture, in particular, bosses are often a favorite target of gossip and slander. Um, Paul Paul rejects this attitude here that says I'm only going to do do well when my master my boss is watching. I'm only going to to do what do well in order to get ahead or to get a promotion or a raise. Paul says no, you need to work with a sincere heart with with not putting on a show, not being a people pleaser. Work heartily he he says whatever you've been given to do, do it with all your might. He says don't do a half-hearted job even if it's the lowest meanest job. He says whatever you've been given to do, do it well. What's the motivation for this? Because mundane work feels so mundane. Uh, what enables us to do the mundane things that we're called to do well? well? The first thing we see here, it's the fear of God. Brothers and sisters, how we work, how, how hard we work, how, how sincerely from our hearts we work, How much integrity we have in our work shows how much we fear the Lord or don't fear the Lord. It's having this awareness that I live out my whole life under the Lordship of Christ. Every single day I I go out to do my work. God is watching me. And I want to glorify Him. I want to honor Him. I don't want to displease Him. More than anything else in the world, that matters to me in my work. It's that attitude that, that motivates us to do even the mundane things for his glory, to do them well. And he, Then we see another, another motivation here in verse 24. Paul says, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So he says, Not only should you work because you fear the Lord, but also serve, work, for your earthly master because when you do, you're really serving your heavenly master. And you're going to get an inheritance from him. Now, it's interesting that Paul says you're going to get an inheritance here because he's talking to servants. And servants don't qualify for an inheritance in the Roman world. Only sons get an inheritance. But Paul says, servants, you have a new identity. You're in Christ, you're a son adopted in Christ by his grace. So when you work for your earthly master, you're really working for your heavenly father. And and as a son, you have a glorious inheritance coming with God, in Christ, in glory forever that can't be touched or taken away. And so Paul is is encouraging these servants to see who they are and have that play out in their earthly lives. Brothers and sisters, uh, as we consider this, what's the work God has given us to do? What's your work? Think of the hardest part of your work, the most mundane part of the work that you have to do, the most tedious thing. Let's be faithful in these things. Out of fear of God. Not, not just because uh, the boss is watching or not just because I like to be the kind of guy who does a good job, but because we fear the Lord and, and because we know we are sons who are working to please our Heavenly Father with a glorious inheritance that's coming. And the smallest act of faithfulness in, in, in the most mundane and tedious work that God's given me to do, He will notice and He will reward us for by His grace. Whatever the work is that He's given us to do, let's do it with our eyes on Him and on our inheritance. Let's do it as sons for our Father. And then there's a the last word. Paul gives to servants here before he moves on to masters. And this word is, is a word of warning. So he's given us, he said, we, we, we work well, we work hard uh, for, out of fear of the Lord. We, we do this because we're sons working for a father. We've got this inheritance coming. And then he gives us a word of warning. And he says here in verse 25, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he's done. And there's no partiality. It's a warning of judgment here. He says, if you don't do all this, if you don't work uh, well, if you don't see your work as as for the Lord, if you don't work hard with with faithfulness, with integrity, you'll be repaid for that failure to work hard and to work well. He's saying you've been promised a gracious inheritance as sons. You're adopted by God's grace, but if you do wrong, if you walk in sin, if you treat your work as something that's about you and not about the glory of Christ... If you don't do it in the fear of the Lord and unto Him, then you face God's judgment. Now, sometimes we read a text like this and and we know, well, I'm saved by God's grace. And the final count, that's all that matters. It's God's grace to me in Christ. Romans 3.28 We are saved by grace through faith apart from works. And that's true. And We need to hang on to that truth. But we can't let that truth insulate us from the warning of the text Here. Paul's concern here is is this. He says, you might think, hey, I'm a Christian now. I'm I'm God's Son now, adopted by him. I don't need to pay attention to my earthly master or serve him well. I'm serving the Lord. Paul's concern is is that we not chop up our lives into little compartments and, and say, My work is earthly. It doesn't have much to do with who I am in Christ. And and so Paul warns us. And brothers and sisters, it's a real warning. Saving faith doesn't look at the warnings of Scripture and kind of wink and say, well, I I know that these don't really apply to me because I'm in Christ, justified, saved by grace. No. Saving faith trembles at the warnings. Our confession says it trembles at the threatenings of God's Word. It gets down on its knees and it pleads with God, have mercy on me and give me grace to do these things and to make, make me faithful, keep me from falling away. So all this is Paul's instruction to us in our work. And then he turns his attention, last of all, to masters in in 4, verse 1. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So this applies to all those who have some authority over others, whether that's bosses or supervisors or managers or owners. He says, be just, be fair with those who are under you. Uh, don't cheat them. Don't, uh, pay them a fair wage. Be honest with them. Lead them well. Um, uh, don't see them as, as cogs in a machine, but treat them as, as real people the way you'd want to be treated. Because they don't exist for your sake. They, they exist for God's glory. And you have a charge from God to be fair with them. Why should masters treat their servants with it, this way? Why should those in authority treat those under them this way? It's because, Paul says, you have a master in heaven. And, and I think Paul's driving at three things when he says this, that you have a master in heaven. Number one, he's saying, you're not the master, really. Yes, you've been given a position of authority on earth, but God is the sovereign in heaven. You're under his authority. And never forget that. The most primary thing about you is not that you are a boss, a, ma- a supervisor over others. No, it's that you're a servant of your master in heaven. You've been given a stewardship and a, you're, you're to take care of what He's given you. It's for Him, not for you. The second thing I think Paul's reminding masters here, he says, your master is in heaven. Remember who that is. It's, it's the Lord and He's just. He's fair with you. He's never cheated you. He's never treated you falsely. He's kept His word. So, so you be a master like that. Let, let how you have authority reflect how God has authority over you. And finally, the third thing I think Paul is saying here is, your master is in heaven, and that's a gracious master. He's good to you beyond what you deserve. In fact, he so loved you, he became a servant for you in his son. He, he, he became a foot washer for you. He, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Mark ten forty five. Paul's saying, reflect that and your authority over those under you. You're not greater than Christ. So, brothers and sisters, these are the details. These are Paul's instructions to the Colossians, God's instructions to us about the everyday obedience, the places where real growth is supposed to happen and how we treat those around us, the relationships we have and the work that God's given us to do. We are called to live in these verses according to Christ, under the Lordship of Christ in every single aspect of our lives. Paul says over and over again here, it's for the Lord, it's as to the Lord, it's in the Lord. That's the chorus here, he keeps repeating. Your whole life, every single relationship belongs to Him. So live a Christ-centered, Christ-focused, Christ-directed life. In your marriage, your parenting, your work, nine to five, weekends, all the time, it's in Christ and under Christ. Well, we have our work cut out for us, don't we? If you're like me, once, you, once we start digging into this, who can do this? Who can fulfill the commands that God's giving us here? We're not talking about just a little tweaking, a little adjustment here and there. No, Paul's saying a whole life dedicated to Christ and lived out under his lordship. That's what the Lord wants for us. This is everything here. Every aspect and relationship and, and duty of our lives belongs to Christ. Christ. We have so much work that he's called us to do. And, and the ideal that he's, that he's holding up for us is none, none other than Christ himself. Christ, our Lord, the one who perfectly submitted to his Father, the one who loves the church in all her unloveliness, faithfully and well, and sacrifices for her, the one who never provokes us, the one who is gentle with us and fair with us and just with us and served us. Only Christ has done these things perfectly, and I'm called to live like that. So what do we do? What do we do with a text like this, which is searching and which is challenging? Well, first, we rest. We rest in Christ's obedience. When we read the law and His Word, we always need to come back to that. That I can't do this. Christ did it for me. He perfected it for me. God counts me righteous in Him, and that's my only hope. But second, we also need to then turn from that to a humble reliance on God. To, to, to give me grace to do these things. If he's called us to do these things, brothers and sisters, surely he'll give us the resources to do these things. So what habits do we need to work on? What habits do we need to get rid of? What, what do we need to do this week in our relationships, in our work, to start, start digging in and getting to work on these things? What particulars, think about the particulars. That's where the change happens, brothers and sisters. And then we see Paul himself in the very next verse, verse 2, which isn't part of our text this week, but the very next thing he says, after he said all this, continue earnestly in prayer. It's as though this is the response we should have after reading this text. Getting down on our knees before the Lord. Give me strength, O oh God, for the work that you've given me to do. Give me strength to love my wife, to submit to my husband, to, to uh obey my parents, to, to not provoke my children, to work well from my heart for the Lord and to be a gracious uh, master. Let's pray for these things, brothers and sisters, and, and, and seek them by God's grace that we might put on the Christ-focused lifestyle of the new man of heaven in all our relationships and in all our duties. Let's pray.